this last Sunday, uh, you honored me in a, in a very tremendous way, uh, celebrating 25 years as your pastor here at Spring Valley. And uh, it was a wonderful day. There are a lot of memories that uh, I will share. There are still cards and things that keep coming, and I appreciate those greatly. And I really, I thought it was a great celebration of what we have done together as the church uh, in the 25 years that I've had the privilege of being here uh, as your pastor. And that will always remain for me a very special Sunday. But there was a lot said about me, and I didn't feel all that comfortable about that because it's not up to a pastor really as to how long he stays at the church, but it's up between the church and, and as the people of God and God as to how long uh, a pastor can stay in that church. And you've been very gracious about that. It takes a very special church to allow a pastor to be able to have a long pastorate. And you are a special church, not only to me, where I've invested 25 years of my life in ministry, but you are also a very special church in the kingdom of God. Our reputation is uh, great in the state of South Carolina. And we have really had influence around the world as we have sent people out on mission trips, as we've sent people into ministry, uh, and through our mission giving, uh, we've been able to reach people around the world and have an impact there. But as we begin another year together and another year in the life of our church here in 2014, I want us to celebrate being together as a church. And I want us to celebrate Spring Valley Baptist Church because uh, you are special to me and to God. Uh, you're a special church because uh, not many churches do allow those long pastorates. And not all churches are healthy churches where pastors would want to stay. But you are a healthy church. Many are cold. They're not focused outside. They're focused only inside. They're not welcoming to other people. And, and we certainly are a church that's open to people. We're open to the diversity uh, of people who come by age and race and, and any other diversity. We welcome that as long as they all embrace Jesus Christ as Savior. Some of the churches that are around today uh, are really not healthy churches. In fact, you might want to call them dysfunctional churches. And a pastor down in Texas that I, I read a lot of his writings came up with a list of the top ten ways that you can identify if you're in a dysfunctional church or not. And I thought I would share those with you. Uh, number 10 is the ushers frisk everyone before they enter. Number nine, and this is a good, this is a dead giveaway. It says the name of the church is the Wrath of God Community Church. The music director, number eight, leads the choir with a whip. Now Rick doesn't do that on Sunday morning, but he does on Wednesday night, right? There, he cracks the whip, okay? Um, every baptismal candidate is required to watch the movie Titanic. The Vacation Bible School theme is the Ten Plagues of Egypt. Number five, there are parking meters in the church parking lot. And oh, I hadn't thought about that, but we get, if we get behind on budget, that might be something we have to do, put parking meters out there, Okay? Uh, number four, we have a deacon's meeting tonight, so this uh, hits us here. Deacon's meeting begin with the chairman saying, let's get ready to rumble. I asked Tony McDuffie, our chairman, if we were going to start out that way tonight. going to be interesting to see whether we do or not. Uh, number three, visitors are required to put their bank account number on the guest form. You notice our new guest form doesn't have that. We don't ask for that, okay? Number two, and this one might be valid. Requirements for teaching middle school students include martial arts training. That might be helpful. 
Those of you who work with our middle schools, okay? And number one, the number one way you can tell you're in a dysfunctional church is by the sermon title, which is this. The theological and ontological significance of the eschatological ramifications of the premillennial view of predestination, part four. How would you like to be in a church like that? Not very warm, not very welcoming, not very healthy. And that certainly does not describe Spring Valley Baptist Church. You know, there are just some tough churches that are out there. I mean, we just have to face that fact. Some of you might have come from some uh, that, that had a reputation for being difficult churches. They were always infighting and always bickering. And, you know, Satan has a field day when that takes place. Uh, but then there's some other churches that just aren't healthy because of the attitudes that people have that they express towards one another and one towards a pastor. Now, I don't know why I, I hear such crazy stories that come out of Arkansas, uh, but this one came out of a Baptist church in Saddle, Arkansas. Don't know where it is, don't know how big it is, don't know anybody involved in it. But the pastor finished his sermon that day, bowed his head, had a closing prayer. When he opened his eyes, a woman, 58 years old, is standing there with a gun at his head. And he says, what's this all about? And she said, I needed to hear you preach from the book of Revelation today, and you didn't preach from the book of Revelation. Folks, that's not a healthy church. Don't, if you want me to preach on something, let me know ahead of time so you don't pull a, a gun on me later, okay? That would, be the, that would be the Christian thing to do. I mean, there are just some difficult churches, tough churches. And the Apostle Paul knew that. You know, Paul w was anointed after his dramatic conversion uh, by God. And when everybody wanted to know, why in the world are you, are you doing this for this man? And, and he was Saul. He persecuted the church. He had people put to death because of that. And God's answer was, he is my chosen instrument to carry the gospel to the Gentiles. And that's what Paul did. He went out on missionary journeys. And in that way, he had a pattern. He would always go into the temple. And from there, he would explain the fulfillment of the scriptures. And then he would go out and make himself available. And people would come. He would teach them about the gospel, the fulfillment of all the Old Testament scriptures in Christ. And those who believed in Christ, then were put together uh, in a church. And he established churches everywhere he went. And then we find that most of the New Testament is based on Paul's writings back to these churches where he had established them and had stayed for various lengths of time as their pastor. And the reason that he did so, because there was always a variety of issues in those churches that he had to deal with and that he had to um, help them get straightened out about their thinking and all, all those kinds of things. Now, surely it is exciting from a very startup of a church, those of you who are charter members here at Spring Valley, and you remember your days of meeting over at Roy Jan and then at uh, Lonnie B. Nelson Elementary School and at Spring Valley High School and then uh, moving to this property into the first building back there now. It's our fellowship center. You know, those are exciting times. And, and young churches grow quicker. And they're more attractive because they're excited about what they're doing. There's a lot of work to be done. But as uh, having a son and a son-in-law who both planted churches... Uh, there can also be some difficult things to take place because you get a lot of people out of a lot of uh, backgrounds that are greatly diverse, and a lot of them just come out of all kinds of pagan activities, and there's a lot of work to get them straightened out. And there's a lot of disappointment sometimes that take place. And that's what Paul experienced in all the churches except this one in Thessalonica that we're going to talk about. Because if you remember his writings or you think about looking at Adam, uh, when he wrote to the Corinthian church, we have two letters out of four that we know he wrote to the Corinthian church. 
And we know them as First and Second Corinthians. And Paul had to write and deal with a variety of things. There had division. Some of them said we follow Paul. Some say we follow Apollo. Some say we follow Christ. And then there were those who, who had the spiritual gift, the superior spiritual gift of speaking in tongues. And Paul had to write to them and greatly uh, express the, why we have gifts in chapter 12 and then talk about the greatest gift in 1 Corinthians 13 is love. And he had to talk to them about some of the strong issues. They were carnal. They were sexually involved. There was a man who was actually sexually involved with his father's wife. Not his mother, but his father's wife. And there was a whole kind of issues that had to be dealt with there in the Corinthian church. Then we look at another church, and we look at the church at Colossia. And that church also had its problems. They struggled to be faithful to the Lord. Uh, they were drawn towards carnality as well. And they were drawn towards sensuality. And they were drawn towards mysticism. And they were drawn towards legalism. Can you imagine all those different things in the life of a church? So there were things he had to write about. Then there was a church in Ephesus. It was a church that was proud. It was lacking in humility. It was impatient. It followed the pattern of sin from its past life. They lacked the spirit of forgiveness. That's why Paul had to write in, in Ephesians 4.32. To be tenderhearted and forgiving one another just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Then he had to talk about the structure of the church as to how through apostles and teachers and elders and all these, they work together to help people come to know Christ and then to grow up in their faith and maturity. So he had to write to them about that. And then there were the churches in Galatia. When we read the book of Galatians, it wasn't just the one church, but it's the several churches in that area of Galatia. And they were, uh, they were also struggling to maintain their loyalty. Uh, they were even beginning to abandon what had been taught them by the Holy Spirit. And they were, they were caught up in a proudful, boastful attitude. And then there was the Philippian church that maybe for a long time we thought, and I did really, that this was Paul's favorite church and that they had a special love relationship. But then when you, you dig in there a little bit deeper, you will find that part of the reason he wrote to them and why we have so many of the precious promises that we claim out of the book of Philippians, like I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and uh, I know that my God will supply all of my needs. He talks about the peace that passes understanding. He talks about the humility of Christ in chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, who humbled himself and came to earth and, and gave himself up on the cross. The reason for that is that there were factions going on in, in that Philippian church. They really weren't at peace with one another. And he had to go so far as to call two women by name on the carpet, Udiah and Sintachi. Somebody called her Suntachi, and that maybe was part of the problem. And he said, you all got to get reconciled. But then when we look at this church in Thessalonica, and we understand what Paul is writing to them about and why he's writing, there really weren't any big issues that he had to deal with. He didn't have to condemn them for something. But instead, he celebrated with them who they were. And so last week, I felt a lot of attention. Most all of it was focused on me. Today, I want to focus it on you, the church at Spring Valley. I want us to celebrate together being a faithful church as the church was that's known as Thessalonians in our scripture. And I want us to look at chapter 1 uh, of 1 Thessalonians and look at verses 1 through 10. Paul is writing. He says, Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, 
and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's where we're going to focus for the basic content of the message is what made them a healthy church. But I want you to hear the rest of chapter 1. He says, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you, because our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you uh, for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord in spite of severe suffering. You welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Now I think when we hear these words and we look at them, uh, there are several things to notice. Number one, they had a genuine faith. They had had a life-transforming faith where they came out of idol worship to where they came and worshiped the true God. Not only that, it wasn't in an ideal circumstance and setting because Paul says that there were some issues that come that, that, that you even dealt with as you came to know Christ. Because he said there were some factions that were going on. There, were, there was persecution. It was a tough environment uh, in which he proclaimed the gospel to the Thessalonians and they believed. And then there's an issue here where he says, and you became imitators of us. I remember as a seminary student, one of our professors talked about this, and he said this, and I always remember this. He said that one of the issues in a long-term pastor, when a pastor stays a long time, is that church begins to take on the identity of the pastor, whether it's good or bad. And I said right then, I am not going to be a pastor who stays around for a long time. And it's obvious that God had something else in mind about that. And my first church, which was a student pastor, nobody had stayed longer than five years. I said, I'm going to beat that. I'm going to stay here longer than that. Wasn't God's will in this time. In three and a half years, we moved back to South Carolina. I was at uh, Elam before I came here for nine and a half years. I think that was the second longest pastor. But one of the True Luck boys had come through South Carolina during that time, and they pastored in that region. And he was pastor at Elam for 38 years. In fact, he was buried in church cemetery. I could look out my office window, and I could look at him anytime I got discouraged, and I said, that old boy stuck it out for 38 years. I can keep on going. You know? And so uh, if you've picked up any bad habits from me, I apologize. But I have had fun while I'm here. We've, had, we've gone through some issues. We've gone through some difficult times. But I think overall we are a healthy church. We're a loving church. We're a friendly church. We, I think we're, we're a gracious church. And you certainly have been gracious to me. And I, I greatly appreciate that. And I thank you for that. But today I want us to focus on Spring Valley Baptist as being that faithful church and celebrate you because of what we find here in the Scripture that parallels from Thessalonians to who we are. I think it was, I finally found out who did this, but it was a, the European theolog theologian Reinhard Niebuhr who once said very cynically, the church is like Noah's ark. If it wasn't for the storm outside, we couldn't stand the stink inside. And that's not true of us. You know, there's a storm outside, but there's a sweet fellowship in here. And we come in here week by week to be nourished so that we can go out there and live that faith. I would say that if there's one weakness that I would point out out of 1 Thessalonians in that first chapter is that we are not as bold and we're not as consistent in proclaiming the gospel 
Because he said it, it rang forth from them. And he wasn't just talking about when they worshiped on Sunday morning, whoever the pastor was at that time. He was talking about the people, that they proclaimed the gospel of Christ in such a manner that it literally rang forth from them. It reverberated, and everybody talked about that. But what do we see here that's, that we can celebrate together, being the church and being a faithful church? Well, first of all, uh, Paul says he was thankful for their work of faith. We read that in verse 3. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith. They had a genuine faith. They'd come out of a, a pagan background and they had a life-transforming experience and their faith was genuine. And faith that they had was focused in the right direction because it was focused upon the Lord Jesus Christ who came, gave himself up on the cross to die for their sins so their life could be transformed. Their faith was genuine. Now, the original word that would be translated here, work, literally means work produced by faith. And it doesn't so much focus on the effort as it does the fruit that was produced. And you know if you're living a fruitful life for Christ, if you're living a spirit-filled life, then the, uh, the, the, the spirit is going to produce fruit in you. And if you're not, if you're living by, by, the, by the flesh, he says in Galatians, then you're going to uh, be carnal. You're going to live by the spirit uh, of the flesh. And they produce different fruit. But he said as believers... They did not mind the effort that they put forth for the glory of God. Uh, that had a, a, a work of faith because it was a genuine faith. Now, let me say two things. First of all, works do not produce faith nor salvation. You can do all the works in this world that you want to. You can teach, you can pray, you can give. Uh, you can do all of those kinds of things, and it will not get you into heaven. The only thing that gets you into heaven is a relationship with Jesus Christ. But genuine work uh, is produced in the kingdom of God out of a genuine faith. And that's what Paul is saying. He would remind us in Ephesians 2.8 that that's why we are recreated in Christ. He says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by work, so that no one can boast. You see, we are created, recreated in Christ for what? Good works. And that's what he's confirming, affirming them for. See, salvation is a free gift given to those who hand their lives over to Christ. Now, the second thing I would say, though, is that faith does produce works. When you have a genuine faith, it will produce the works of faith. Works and faith go together. They're hand in glove. In James 2, he talks about being a very practical letter. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself is, is not accompanied by action. It is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. You see, we go back again and look at Ephesians 2.10. It says, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. You see, those two elements in our life of faith and works could be like two oars in a rowboat. If you're going to row a boat across a body of water, you've got to have both oars in the water working simultaneously. If you put only one oar in the, in the water and you pat, pull on that as hard as you can, what's going to happen? You're going to circle. 
You pull that one out, you put the other one in, and you roll as hard as you can, what's going to happen? You're going to go in a circle the other way. You put both oars in, and you pull as hard as you can and row, you go get to your destination. That's what Paul is saying. That's what James is saying. That's what the Bible teaches us, that faith and works go together. And it was natural that being the church that they were, the people they were, uh, that they had faith and works that went together. And we do too at Spring Valley. I am thankful for all of you uh, who work for the glory of God. And let me tell you why you do it. It comes out of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 14 through 16. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Why do we do good deeds? Number one, because we have a genuine faith. And number two, because we want other people to see what we do and give glory to God. That's why we do that. And you do a good job of that. The second reason that he was thankful for them and celebrated and that we can celebrate Spring Valley is because he was thankful for their labor of love. He talks about your labor prompted by love. And we have another word there for, for labor. And that is the one that does put the emphasis upon the effort that is put forth. And it means to expend a great painful effort. And the reality is that when we come in love to love Jesus Christ, when we fall deeply in love with Jesus Christ, then we are willing to labor in love for him and for his glory. We're willing to bear uh, the burden of being a servant in the life of the church. And if what you're doing, if you're working in the life of the church and you find it to be a drudgery, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a deacon, whether you're a choir member, whether you're a musician or whatever it is, if you find that to be a drudgery, then I want to challenge you to go back and look at your love for Christ. And remember what the Lord Jesus Christ wrote in the book of Revelation to the church at Ephesus. Now, he commended them for the things that they were doing well, but he says, I have this against you. You have forsaken your first love. You see, a genuine labor for love in the life of the church comes because we're deeply in love with Jesus Christ. That's why we labor in love. Now, I, I got to thinking about this this week, and so I asked the staff to help me a little bit with this. Do you have any idea how many volunteers it takes in the life of our church to be fully functioning on Sunday morning? I'm talking about greeters at the door, people at the welcome center, uh, choir members, musicians, band members, orchestra members, uh, teachers, children, preschool, adult, students, uh, deacons who are praying during this hour, uh, ushers who collect the money, and counters, all of those. You got any idea how many it takes? Anywhere, depending upon what we're doing on that Sunday, anywhere from 250 to 300 people. Ain't that amazing? And I hope that all of you do it out of love. And you know, we need more people. Uh, Allison uh, needs some teachers in the, in the children's area in Sunday school, Bible study. If you, have a, if you have, think you have the gift of teaching, you've got a passion, you've got a clean record, you love children, see Miss Allison about that. You know, we want to expand our greeter to have it in the parking lot. Now, why, why do we want to do that? Here's a simple reason. When people visit with us and they, they drive up, we have a window, a time frame of 7 to 11 minutes to influence them 
And they will know in that 7 to 11 minute time frame, without hearing the song, without hearing Rick sing, or a leader sing a hymn, without hearing me preach, they will know between 7 and 11 minutes, they will make up their mind whether they're going to come back or not. And it begins in the parking lot. You know, do we have clearly uh, um, advertised places of entrance, entrance into the building? Uh, do you know where to park? Do you know where to, where to go in? Uh, are you going to be welcome in a friendly manner at the door when you come in and when you go out? People at the Welcome Center are going to know where to send you to go to a class when you want to go. How are your children going to be treated? Are the areas clean and neat and fresh and all of that? You see, all of that is so significantly important. That shapes people's minds long before they ever get in here. And then when they get in here, they want to know, is the music relevant? Is the sermon relevant? You know, how do people respond to the gospel? How do people respond to you as a visitor, a guest, when you're seated in here? See, it makes a difference. That's why we need people who have the love of Christ in their life because when you have the love of Christ in your life, you're going to love other people that God brings here. That's what makes a church healthy. That's what makes a church faithful. And that's why we can celebrate who we are as Spring Valley Baptists. Listen to what Paul had to say about that labor of love in chapter 4, verses 9 through 10. He says, uh, now about brotherly love, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. He said, and in fact, you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers, to do so more and more. You know, Paul's not condemning them because they don't have love, but he said, do it more and more. Why would he say that? It's because that is one of the great characteristics of a, of a person who is part of the kingdom of God and a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ. That you love people. And he says, do it more and more and more. In Galatians 5, 6, he ends by saying, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And I think we can celebrate that, but let's just do it more and more and do a better job of it. Then thirdly, Paul says he was thankful for their endurance through hope. He said, your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. See, if we have hope in Jesus Christ, then we can get through difficult times. This church was going through some difficult times. There was persecution around them, but yet they were vibrant, they were strong, they were growing, they were proclaiming the gospel so that it rang out. And Paul says, you love, you know, you know how to do that? Just do it more and more and more. And he says, you also have the hope that looks beyond your present circumstances, and that hope is the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we find that's why he writes uh, chapter 4 to deal with the resurrection and what happens to our loved ones in Christ. He talks about that. You see, hope looks to the future with confidence that God's promises will all uh, be true. And you might want to say, well, this is another word for work, and it simply means uh, that you exert action under a great strain. You persevere. You are steadfast in your endurance. And Paul says it's done so your hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. See, without hope, we have a tendency to give up. If you don't have any hope, what reason is there to come to church? What reason is there to go to work? What reason is it to live? In fact, an article I read this week says that the average 30-year-old man today is going to be three times as depressed as his father ever was and two times as depressed as his grandfather was. At any given time in the life of our country, there are between 15 and 20 million people suffering from depression. I'm not talking about clinical depression. That, that's a whole different area that gets into, uh, into, into some areas there that, that's just more than just pull yourself up and feel better. 
But I'm just talking about where you get despondent and you just kind of give up hope and say, well, what's it all worth anyway? I'll tell you what it's worth. It's worth the kingdom of God. Don't give up. And, and hope is what encourages us to endure. The Thessalonian Christians, yeah, they had to endure some things. You know, they didn't live in a perfect environment. There was some criticism of them. There was some rebuke about them, but they, they persevered. And they did so because they focused on Jesus Christ. And they had that hope in Jesus that he would return. And we are encouraged, even the writer of Hebrews does so, as Paul does here, to remain faithful and to endure because of that hope in Jesus Christ. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, that's a formula for succeeding through endurance. There have been some tough times in the life of this church. I remember in some of the early years that I was here, we were, we, stewardship and giving was taken so um, lightly in the life of this church that literally when the stewardship committee met and we'd meet in the offices, uh, we were really having to rob Peter to pay Paul. Which bill are we going to pay today? Which bill are we going to pay this week? And we often wondered whether staff was going to get paid or not. That was some tough times. Those were some tough times until we started saying we need to get serious about stewardship. And the same thing is true this year. We met our budget. We exceeded our budget for this past year, 2013, by about $11,000. But it was a 1.5 budget. This year the budget is 1.625. Because in the middle of June, after six months, uh, we had been in, in, in the pattern of giving. We said, our trend said we're going to give about $1.612 million dollars. And something happened, it tapered off towards the end, and we ended up only giving 1.511. Now, if you don't want us to go back and put parking meters in the parking uh, lot out here, you need to get serious about the giving. Get back on that again. I know we've had a capital funds campaign, and we're doing well on that. We provided a state-of-the-art building for our students, and we had to go sacrifice and do that. You don't have to sacrifice when you're tired. That's just simply being obedient and doing what God calls you to do. But anyway, this church has gone through some struggles, but we have succeeded because we've had a hope that let us go beyond where we are and who we are. You've heard of the uh, Ironman Triathlon. Uh, it's, a, it's a grueling event. I don't know how anybody can go through it, but I know somebody personally who's done it. You swim 2.4 miles, you ride a bicycle for 112 miles, and then you run or jog or walk or crawl, whatever you've got to do to finish a 26.2-mile uh, course. Uh, this past August, they held at the Ironman Triathlon in the city of Louisville, Kentucky. Our 30-year-old niece, Tiffany, who has a doctorate in um, health sciences, participated in that. And she finished. And their swimming part was in the Ohio River. Uh, when I was in Louisville, I saw that Ohio River. I wouldn't go in that water on a dare or a bet. And that's where they had to start out, swimming in the river. The first part of it was upriver, the hardest part, and then they came downriver. And then they had to go ride the bicycle 112 miles. Then they had to walk, run, jog, and crawl 26.2 miles. And she did it, and she finished it in the amount of time that was allotted. Now, besides being in excellent physical condition, what helped her endure and get through in the dark hours of that night when that 26.2 miles was still stretching out before her was she had cards of Scripture 
And she had asked family members and friends to write down scripture that we sent to her that would be of encouragement to her, that would enable her to endure. And she had it in in waterproof containers so that even as she was swimming, she had it with her. And she was riding the bicycle. And then as she was walking and jogging and running those 26.2 miles, she had those scriptures that urged her to endure, and she endured. You know, living the life of faith is kind of like that, isn't it? Kind of like a a, a triathlon. It's still called the Iron Man. They got women involved in it. I guess it's going to be changed, have its name changed before long, but... Those are tough women that can do that. I'm telling you, anybody who can do it is tough. That's the promise that we have in Scripture. Listen to Psalm 33. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love, to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait and hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord, even as we put our hope in you. How do we endure? Our hope is in God. Our hope is in the return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And I think we have that faith that looks forward with confidence and we're able to endure. So I celebrate Spring Valley Baptist Church with you today. And I think you're so much like the church that Paul loved in Thessalonica. There really wasn't anything to criticize them about. There were just some things that they were doing. He said, "Do do it better. Do a little bit more of it. I think if there's one thing that we're the weakest on, it's letting the gospel message ring forth from our lives. Not just from the pulpit, but from every one of us as we go our way throughout every day of every week. Is that, that gospel message has to ring forth. You've got to let it ring forth where you work, where you go to school, where you recreate, where you shop, all of those places. Where people you know don't have a relationship with Christ. And that's something we need to do a better job of to influence our community. But today we celebrate being a faithful church and being the church. And I congratulate you. I celebrate with you what we do together. Our work of faith, our labor of love, and our faithful endurance. Now for the remaining years that God has for us to be together, I don't know. I don't know how long that might be. don't know what God's plans are. But I hope that we continue to be a faithful church. And that it will be evidenced through our work of faith, our labor of love, and our faithful endurance. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are faithful to us and that as we come into a genuine faith relationship with you, then that we know that the service, the ministry, the work that we do is all based on the right motive because we love you. Father, help us to endure uh, with the hope of the coming of Christ and the promise that you give to us in your word that no matter what goes on around us, this church made up of all these people will be faithful will be able to endure, and will do so for your glory through Jesus Christ. And I pray, Father, that we'll continue to be the church and we'll continue to be faithful for you. In the name of Christ, amen.